Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. We're super excited to have Ray Allen back on as a sponsor out in Colorado Springs. Be sure to use the discount code Working Dog Radio, spelled out, for your 10% off of your next order. RayAllen.com. It's not just for working dogs, guys. It's for all dogs and no sex offenders. True story. You guys have all heard us talk about it. Our favorite e-collars, dogsure.com. They got ball trainers. They got bar collars. They got the 1900S that we love. Ted, how do they get a discount? Go to dogtrue.com, just like it sounds. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. I suggest the ball popper or the 1900S because I use a ton of both of those. But yeah, dogtrue.com. Our good friend Cameron Ford, we've had him on the podcast. We've been on his podcast. He's over there in Vegas now, silverstatek9.com. He's brought his scientific approach to detection work over there to Vegas, silverstatek9.com. All kinds of uh, detection and supervisory schools and everything else like that. Ted, what do you think of that place? It's awesome. I mean, Cameron is one of the most well-versed guys when it comes to the scientific approach and the detection work when it comes to finding bombs or drugs. He's one of the only guys, I think, that ever ran a dog in three states as a law enforcement officer, if I remember correctly. But yeah, great facility, great people, great training. Uh, hit him up, silverstatek9.com. If you guys have seen Ted and I posting pictures of these badass poker chips, we got we got them for Van S K9, Torchlight K9, HRD, Working Dog Radio. We get those from our friends at Combat Bet Challenge Coins. Ted, talk about where they can get them and a little discount. CombatBetBet.com. Use the discount code spelled out Working Dog Radio. And try before you buy with the sampler pack. Be sure to go to CombatBet.com forward slash WDR and then plug in the discount code. WDR, and they'll send you a free sample pack of the ceramic coins and of the metal ones, so you can choose which one you want. Handling HME is a dangerous proposition for any explosive handler, although it is a relevant, credible threat in today's environment. And because of that, we got to have a way to train on it other than just once a year doing the NORT standard. So how do you do it? Well, the easiest way is to get TrueScent. It is the safest way to handle and detect HME. It's actual odor suspended in silica. It's not a pseudo, it's an actual simulant. TrueScent canine.com or give them a call at 512-533-2040. When you get your, your kit, they actually have an expert call you and talk to you and work you through how to do their imprinting on it. True Scent, the letter K, the number 9.com. Enter discount code WDR15 for 15% off your training aids. We're super excited to have Horizon Structures on board as a sponsor of the podcast. They're a family-owned business, and they have quality customer service, and their pricing is super, super simple. In fact, if you head over to Horizon Structures, you can see the full gamut of their pre-made kennels, and they go from mild to, I would live in one of these things, wild. So, uh, Eric, (laughs) where can you find them? Horizonstructures.com. It's like a buffet for kennels and everything on that. Horizonstructures.com, or call them toll-free, 888 Four four seven four three three seven. Okay, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Another great episode coming your way. Uh, I am Eric Stambro over in the newly frozen tundra of Ohio. With me, as always, from the uh, plains of Oklahoma and Tulsa is my partner, Ted Summers. Ted, how are you? Don't even talk to me about tundra. I woke up this morning, there's frost everywhere, and I'm, <laughs> I was complaining. It was... <laughs> Last week in Tulsa, it was 117 with the heat index, <laughs> and today it's 31 right now. We're recording this in the morning. I am, 
I, I'm, I get it. Like, I just want something in between. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. We, yeah. we had a home football game last night. My daughter's a cheerleader. So we went to the game, and it was beautiful. It was like 73, 74, perfect night for being outside. Oddly, it was very, you know, not typical Ohio in October. But seven, uh, 10, 10.30 last night was still 70 degrees. I woke up today, it was like 44 was yeah. the, we had all the windows open the house <laughs> that was a mistake it was freezing <laughs> frost on the kitchen table <laughs> yes yeah so uh, you just so, finished a uh, decoy school man what's going on yeah, over there i had a, a decoy school hosted here by tpd um the uh sergeant here at tpd canine guy um super professional group of guys i had six of their dudes and i had teams from kansas oklahoma missouri and arkansas uh, and we had 28 total teams there. Not everybody was the decoy thing. And I think I had 20 of those guys there for the decoy stuff. So, uh, it was good, man. It was three days. Uh, and they were, you know, what I focused on was teaching them <clears throat> following up on, you know, new case law in our district. And then the one in Missouri that has to do with some bites and then reinforcing, um, some of the case law stuff and the idea of control, uh, from the Chew cases and from Kerr versus West Palm Beach. Not, and then we kind of talked about um, Florida versus Harris and how it has been used recently in ways that were sort of unintended. So we started talking about proper grip, proper targeting, why it matters, how we teach it, and how we reinforce it all the time. We did a lot of equipment fixation drills. Um, I got a lot of video of that, or what I call human orientation drills, where we present the sleeve to the dog and make them pick between biting a very thin hidden sleeve or a big trial sleeve. Um, worked out pretty good. We worked on outs, worked on, um, you know, we did uh, portions of the island drill that everybody saw where they're wrestling around on the ground. So uh, all in all, I think it was uh, pretty good. You just got back from Georgia, right, with the Georgia canine kids. Yeah, I went down. This is the second year in a row um, I went down for the Georgia Police Canine Foundation. They have a, a class down there they they're a good group of guys man they got some good dogs down there but they have uh they're really good at um you know sponsorship in their local area they got uh i think yeah, it was I a business that. i can't remember exactly that, that paid for everyone yeah sponsored the entire class played paid for every student to come through we had tons and tons of free slots so we had a good turnout man i there was a lot of single it's really weird down there um there is, you know, there are some dual purpose dogs and things like that, but I was shocked at how many agencies were there with every dog they had and they're all single purpose. Like their yeah. bosses are like, no, we don't want to bite anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not a thing in Ohio. It's no, I mean, it's there are, here. There are here, some but... single purpose dogs, but for a whole agency, like every dog to be single yeah. purpose, I find that to be weird. Man, yeah, you go to the South or over here anyway, <laughs> that is not the case. They will bite you. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, I, I, that I've seen that too. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, that's a thing for HRD for everybody listening. Um, canines United, um, Debbie Johnson has, um, you know, they do a great job supporting canine units and canine handlers. Um, they've done it through equipment donations and dog donations and same thing with, you know, Christy Schiller, who we interviewed from canines for cops. Uh, but there isn't a whole lot out there that pro provide training, which training is probably the most important portion of the canine unit other than having the damn dog but um debbie johnson's agreed to help us uh, with a scholarship for every hrd we do uh, from canines united so um it depends and that's, that's something awesome. that ray's ray's working on so and if you guys listening are going to do a seminar like that it doesn't have to be hrd or you know whatever if you want to bring somebody in 
go to your local businesses. And, uh, I mean, that's a one way that they, cause you know, when you go and you ask for thousands of dollars for a new dog, it's a lot different than bringing it than saying, you know, you can sponsor one handler team for 250 or 500 bucks or whatever the three day seminar costs. And that's a lot more palatable to a lot more businesses than I need $18,000 for a dual purpose narcotics dog and training. And so, but yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Those guys, the Georgia canine, I was talking to one of them, on Facebook the other day. Um, they're a good group of dudes for sure. That and you got to hang out with Howard, one of our favorite people. So, Yeah, so he, last year I did that that class by myself. Howard was there, and I, of course, put him to work. But this year uh, Howard was down there doing some instructing. So it was me, him, and another guy named Rich Harden. The, the cool thing about Rich is, or the interesting thing is, when I was on the West Coast uh, SEAL program, Rich was on the East Coast. He'd been there a while. He worked it for a few years. Uh, he's been doing canines forever, but we never met. There was never any travel back and forth between the East and West Coast as far as training goes. So I never met Rich. I think we talked on the phone after he left the program a, a while ago. But um, I had a great time with Rich. So Rich ran the detection side of this with all the single-purpose dogs, and Howard and I did a lot of the bite stuff. Um, and then Rich is a pet dog guru in the Louisville, Kentucky area where he's at. And so him and I drank a bunch of beers one night and just kind of went over business and talked and everything. But I, I tell you something that's really cool, man. I'm kind of looking forward to it is Howard and Rich are going to team up and they're doing a, they're going to do a podcast. And I'm looking forward to it. They're going to. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. The, the, I'm looking forward to learning from them. Yeah. So those of you who are friends of, of Howard Young or Rich Harden on, on any social media, keep your eyes out. They told me what the name of it was, but I forgot. Um, but they'll be coming out. They're getting their uh, ducks in a row to get started. So um, I'm, I'm excited. Howard, uh, Howard is such a nice guy. Him and his wife, Lisa, were both there. Uh, really, just really, really down-to-earth good people. And it'll be the only dog podcast that I know of with two guys with pretty thick southern accents. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. I'll have to get someone to interpret for me. Like, it's not as bad as we're going to Boston with HRD and we're going to have to have an interpreter up there. So, yeah. <laughs> what did you yeah, just say Capsidera. to me? Capsidera. <laughs> yeah, Joe, you what? I, I thought you yeah. told me to go fuck myself, but yeah. you said it so eloquently. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so also, so, hey, with HRD, here's something people don't know about HRD is that we're adding decoy stuff in there too. Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to be going to Indiana twice in 2020. Um, <clears throat> there's a large group in central Indiana that's going to have us come out and do basically what I just did, uh, for TPD here. Uh, but it is the reality, it's basically teaching everybody how to kind of set these scenarios up and then correctly decoying for these dogs, what we're reinforcing, why we're doing it. And then we'll be back two months later and the exact same location with the same group of guys and they're going to decoy for us. So it's a, uh, so it kind of puts the whole package together once Eric and I and Ray, and Sean and Griff and everybody leave, then you've got all the skills to continue to do everything we've taught you to do on the decoy side and on the handler side or on the trainer side. So they, uh, and I they guess they have like 90 teams or something in this within like a two and a half hour radius. So I don't think all of them are going to be there. I hope not because <laughs> that'd be a little much, but, uh, yeah, we definitely, it's going to be good. I think it's going to be May. Ray's going to get pissed. It's probably going to be May and June or, March and April, I don't March, April, yeah, or some, I don't know. It's a month gap between, so, yeah, yeah. Central India. So we're going to be doing decoy schools, not just our scenario stuff, guys. So take right. a look, hrdpolicecanine.com. Um, so <clears throat> today's episode, um, you know, we like to have guests and things on. 
But it's so weird because our most listened to episodes and most downloaded have been the episodes where it's just Ted and I talking. Um, we have done, you know, several rant episodes. Everybody likes the rant episodes. And I'll be honest with you folks, I'm kind of over the rant episodes now. Um, I need... I need to not be so fucking angry. So <laughs> everybody um, just went wah wah. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. Right, I can rant in a regular episode a little bit about little pet peeves and stuff, but I gotta I gotta try to live a little bit differently. Um, but the last episode that we did with just Ted and I was just us talking about training, and it was very well received, and a lot of people wanted us to do more. So here we are. Ted here and I are right. going to talk about some training topics. Um, go over some best practices, some worst practices that we see and some issues and um, and that's it. We did tracking and I can't I can't remember what else last time, but we got some different topics this time. So without uh, any more bullshit from me, Ted, let's kick it off. Uh, so you know one of the things that we've introduced big time at with HRD um, <clears throat> and one thing that I do with my handlers a lot is I teach them how to out three ways. Uh, obviously we're talking about patrol dogs here. Um, this episode is going to be exclusively about patrol dog stuff. So, um, we'll do a single purpose episode probably in about three months, but this one's going to be dual purpose. So <clears throat> outing, um, we have to have outs. We do all of the dogs that leave torchlight have a verbal out, uh, verbal recall off leash, verbal control for obedience. I mean, we have to have it right when they leave, they can certify through USPCA and app water. They can pick anything they want. They can certify through it or they do wherever they're from. <clears throat> so I teach my guys three ways, a verbal out, right? Tell the dog to outy outs, lift off, which is what everybody does. You choke the dog, um, they come off and a breaker bar. So there was an ensuing shit show recently, um, about the use of a breaker bar and how it is a crutch or how it is a replacement for proper technique and proper, um, proper skill sets of verbally or manually releasing the dog. And I, I've said this before on this podcast. I've said it before on two other podcasts that I was on and I don't understand why the misconception is that this is a shortcut and that you don't have to have the other two skills. I just don't fucking understand the one. It was explained to me by a guest that was on this podcast before it's an old dude, and I respect the shit out of him. Was that because he 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 equated it to the old um, e collar thing back in the eighties when dudes just started slapping e collars on and like it, you know, they just were fucking frying dogs. And, and that's not that's not it at all. How this works, and um, you know, the truth be told, I do use it on green dogs to build a foundation. I resist and I want everyone else to resist the urge to see that tool as nothing more than a means to remove a dog. I actually use it to build better grips. In fact, I did it in three days in Tulsa here uh, at the decoy seminar here with two green dogs that I had sold TPD. And those dogs are crushing decoy arms and uh, uh, hidden sleeves at the end of three days. And it is nothing more than marking correct behavior. Um, so yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about how I do it. I have video of it where they'll see me come up and they'll hear the click and I'll start to come up and they will dig in and they will drive. They will bite correctly and they will seal their lips up around whatever they're, what I'm trying to get off of them or whatever I'm trying to get them off of. And if they do that, I stop. 
I stop trying to take it away from them. I let them regrip. I let them perform the correct behavior. And then I go down and do it again. I'll do it over and over and over again. Scott calls it opposition reflex without tension, which he's right. I mean, I'm not pulling on the dog, but it's they are fighting to come off and they don't want to. So they're being super calm, super full and super firm in their grip. And they know it's coming and they don't automatically out. So it doesn't happen. Um, not with many of the dogs that, that I see. Um, and why doesn't that work that way, Eric? Why don't they associate that all the time? Because like you tell your guys, don't use it all the fucking time. <laughs> right. Yeah. I tell my guys, and this is the big, this is the, so here's the funny thing about like social media. So we post a video and, um, if you ask a question, say, say you post a video and go, who uses, uh, or what's the proper way to use a breaker bar, or something along that line. Most of the people will get on there with their little expert opinion and will not answer the question. No. What they'll do is they'll get on and go, I never use a breaker bar. Screw that. You should never use. <sighs> Come on, man. Answer the question. If you don't use it, shut up. So what happens yeah. is invariably is that everybody gets on there and says, no, your dogs will associate. They'll do this. They'll do that. But I tell all my guys, listen. Oh, and the whole big thing is, I just teach a good verbal out. I just teach a good verbal out. Yeah. Oh my god, shut up. Shut so up. <laughs> oh gosh, shut up. So we, um, I tell my guys, listen. You need to stay proficient with the breaker tool as far as in training. Use it a couple times a year in training, just a couple. You know. Um, and then the rest of the time, use it on the street. That's it. Use it on the street. They're, that way, you will always surprise that dog. Whoa, they come right off. You don't have to tell them to out. You're not on video. I'm telling you right now, you people that think you're doing uh, verbal outs from a distance with your dog on the street are on camera telling your dog to out numerous times. Yeah. Numerous times. You don't even know it. What is worse popping your dog off without saying a word to him or being on camera 11 times telling your dog to out. In fact, in Curvers... Even when it's a good dog that has... Right, yeah. a dog that has good outs, but this particular time, because of the fight that the person put in, the, the level of arousal, all that, he just... They keep moving. Just was a little... Right, yeah. The guy keeps fighting, keep moving, and you're going to take the dog off. Um, and And... I get it. You know, somebody made a comment on that shit show video that you posted um, about, uh, you know, running up the dog's butt and everything like that, which we talk about a lot. If you if if you're ascertaining that you'll never put hands on a guy that your dog bit, that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Somebody has to arrest the dude. These guys, you're not going to bite the dog, bite the guy and then call the dog off. And then him surrender. It, it that's very rare. Yeah. So in fact, somebody teach, right you know, after that, that posted a video of that dude on top of a car from body cam, and it bit that fool, and the handler outed him, and the dude jumps up and runs off again. He wasn't even handcuffs, yeah, and then he right. sent the dog again, and the god dog bit him again. I mean, within twenty seconds, yeah. and I'm like, well, if you'd handcuffed him, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> but yeah, so, right. You know, and so I we teach it. We teach it HRD. We teach at HRD, we teach at Torchlight and Van S that controlling your dog's head on when he's on the bite, when the when the backup boys come in to handcuff or whether you're on your own and you're doing it, and then breaking him off with a breaker stick or a lift off is the best practice. 
to right. avoid biting back up and to avoid rebiting the suspect if he if it's not warranted. I'm not talking about taking him off and the guy starts fighting and you staple him on his butt or something that's different. Right. But you can't do that if you do it out. So right. anyways, that, we'll go back to the breaker tool. Yeah. So and I do want to read two direct quotes from Kerr versus West Palm Beach. And if, if you're a handler and you haven't read this case, go look it up or email me at host at Working Dog Radio and I'll send it to you. Uh, but it is um, a case from the 80s uh, that was in a combination of three cases. Um, I affectionately call it the shit show. Um, it should go without saying we don't bite people in handcuffs and we make sure that we bite the correct person. But I guess we had to have case law to tell us that. But um, it revolves around mm-hmm. that. But it also revolves around the um, issue of handler control and what that means. And I also have a huge write-up from my um, handler handbook that we hand out to all of our handlers about what the elements of handler control are. And in that decision, Kerr specifically talks about control as, and this is a direct quote, the severity of an apprehended suspect's injuries can be reduced if the handler has complete control over the actions of his dog. Without such complete control, the handler can recall, or I'm sorry, with such complete control, the handler can recall or strain the dog even before a bite Curse. Alternately, the handler can quickly remove the dog from an apprehended suspect, minimizing the possibility that the suspect will receive further injury in the ensuing struggle. What they don't say, and go fucking read it, they do not specifically address a verbal out. They do not mean, or they do not address the mode of immediate control. And I don't find me one person that sees a video of a live bite where you break a dog off and argue with me and that what I just read you argue with me that that is not immediate control and I'll eat my hat. I, I, I dare you. I swear to God, they read it. They do not address a specific mode of immediate control. I don't know if they left it vague on purpose. I don't know. I mean, there was some other shit in that case that I'm like, you know, that I go always kind of go back to this thing. Like, you know, I have dudes tell me they're like, well, I don't need that because I don't need a ver- I don't need a breaker bar because I have great verbal control. I'm like, then why the fuck do you use a leash? I mean, a leash is nothing more than a mm-hmm. crutch because you don't have complete control of a dog during obedience. Dogs lick their own ass and eat cat shit, no matter how well trained they are, and it's still an animal. So if we're offer if we're operating under this definition from Kerr, that and every district, I mean, it's been cited 417 times in federal court. Every district in the United States is, is, is familiar with this case. So the other portion of this, too, that they specific, and this is word for word, because the dog's responsiveness to its handler's commands may erode over time, police dogs need continual training to assure that they will perform responsibly. To ensure that misbehaving dogs receive prop corrective training, a strict performance monitoring system is necessary. The first portion of that is what I, I harp on all the time. So even in detection work, we do variability in training, right? So when we run through scenarios, I'll have the handler run through a scenario several times, the same one, just to kind of, and I'll manipulate what we're doing a little bit. But I may have, I may say, okay, this time I want you to verbally out the dog. So we'll go up, dog name Los or whatever his out command is, dog comes off. And I say, okay, this time, and literally we're talking a minute and a half later, go back in, break him off this time. And then we do it a third time, break him off again. So I, not only do we vary the reward and detection training once the dogs are finished, we also vary the outing behavior and the outing procedure during uh, bite work. And I do this for one reason. And we saw this at an HRD um, recently where – Anytime the handle would verbalize anything, he'd send the dog on a bite. He'd be like, good boy, dog would start to out. 
or he would out. Mm-hmm. So, and I see this all the time as well. And Carlos says it, and I, <laughs> we're going to say this, I don't know how many other times. Bite work, it's not out work, it's bite work. Um, outing is an essential part of that, without a doubt. But we have to ensure through training and through records that the dog has a proper grip, which is what I teach, so that we minimize damage. I mean, I just read you the quote of the two quotes from Kerr that can and have been used to address excessive amounts of damage to people because the dog's grip sucked. And I see it all the time. They suck because they get fucking verbally outed all the time. So it's not full. It's not firm and it's not calm. And they're thrashing because they know they're either about to be burned off or manually or verbally called off. So the dog is continually looking to out further. When you start getting into bites that last minutes at a time, dogs won't do it because they're like, okay, I should be outed by now. So variability is not only for detection work, it's for bite work as well. Anything yep. to add? Um, we did, yeah, we did, we did that this week in Georgia was I could see um, just, just uh, Howard uh, ran the power biting stuff uh, at the v- oh, yeah. very beginning. That's how we were kind of doing grip checks and working on some Right, pushing right. and we use the bungees and things and the handler walks up and that dog just turns his eyes and looks at that guy and then just starts everything he can to spin away from the dog um and that's the thing it is it, stuff like that does kind of happen when you're working outs like getting them ready for a certification and you're kind of you know working those outs a lot of, a lot of people do it man leading up to the certification clean up boom boom out 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 and it does kind of you'll see some of that stuff but we're not all so busy that we can't leave the dog on for an extra couple of minutes at least. You know, it doesn't right. 20, 30 seconds though, um, is gonna have is gonna be a problem. But um, yeah. Again, we say this at every HRD and everything we talk about. We're not telling you not to train outs on your dog. And I fact, don't we, understand how that gets that way. And I in fact I saw you and I guarantee I saw the pictures of you guys on top of that house and I was like, yep. this is probably where they're outing dogs. <laughs> did you guys out you know me <laughs> yeah i know that's why i said it yeah so right. i mean and we do well, specific we, scenarios there where we have dogs out and everybody's like oh he's not gonna out and damn near 90 something percent of those dogs will out every time yep yeah we were doing it with a couple there was a couple we kind of hung down over the roof back onto the picnic table right. um because the first guy went up there and outed his dog and the dog outed perfectly and the guy ripped backwards on the leash and pulled the guy the dog off the roof oh shit <laughs> you know you can yeah, recall like, him right? whoa no i'm like don't do that <laughs> dude you know <laughs> you can recall him just tell him to come back yeah <laughs> right so and and the da- the coming down is part of the scenario you right. know um but yeah if for those of you who don't know what i'm talking about if you check out our social media we had um i had you know i do dumb shit i had a dog jumping on a picnic table onto a two-tier picnic table onto a roof for a bite uh, which you'll never do. I get it. You will never do that. But uh, that's not the point. So anyways. Right, the next that. topic yeah. we're going to talk to is door popper drills. You want yep. to uh, bust that out? Yep. Uh, we're going to take a uh, second for a break, though. Um, listen to these commercials and use the discount codes, and uh, we'll be back. So probably my favorite product, one that actually really delivers what they say has been quick turn by vet care. We use it on uh, all kinds of dogs in our kennels. It's, it's fast acting wound care for all species of animals. You can use it on yourself. Dad and I both have done it. We're getting yep. cut. We got a lot of people doing it. 
We get a lot of testimonials on our social media from people showing pictures of what they've done with their dog. It's Quick Derm by Vet Care. Ted, talk about discount codes and where to find it. Yeah, if you go to vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR, you get 10% off your first order. And there's rumors that she upgrades the sizes too if you use that. So that may happen. It may not. You never know. But yeah, it, it keeps small things from becoming big things. Uh, so get some and toss it in your bag. It's t- temperature stable, so you don't have to worry about it cooking or freezing up in the patrol car. But yeah, vetcare. US. We love our partners down in Florida at Southern Coast Canine. We love Bill and Peggy Heiser. And of course, Danny Cornier, who's their right-hand man, is one of our favorite people as well. They do a fantastic job of selecting green dogs and training them up and getting patrols, handlers through patrol schools. And they also have a list of decoy schools and a full gamut of detection seminars as well. Eric, where can you find them? SouthernCoastCanine.com. That's the letter K, the number nine.com. Give them a call at 877 Dogs. I can tell you this, every seminar that we've been at where there's been Southern Coast Canine Dogs, they've all been solid. Every single one of them, never have to worry about it. We get right to work. SouthernCoastCanine.com. I've been dying to get this company on as as a sponsor for the podcast, Horizon Structures. You go to their website and check it out. They have got some of the neatest things you can build for a kennel. Why do all the work yourself? Have somebody else do it. They will set it up at your location delivered anywhere in the continental U.S. Uh, Ted, talk about the website real quick. Yeah, it's horizonstructures.com. And if you go over and check it out, you can see the list of choices, which is almost mind boggling for everything from the outside to the inside. And you can go from completely mild and unfinished on the inside to completely decked out like a surgical suite with stainless steel, everything and heated floors and anything you can think of in between. And the big thing that you mentioned is they deliver anywhere in the United States and they set it up. So when it's set up, when they drop it off, you can put dogs in it immediately that day. And uh, yeah, saves a ton of time, but hit them up. Horizonstructures.com. 888-447-4337. They have an on-staff engineer that walks you through the entire process from start to finish, which is excellent customer service, which makes it much, much easier to get back to what you do well, which is training dogs. Yep, we just finished up the uh, hits uh, interviews and got them posted up from Chicago. Uh, next year, we're going to be doing the same thing, except Eric and I are also going to be instructing and bringing our unique brand of scenario-based training to the masses there, and it will be the masses in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's going to be the 18th through the 21st of 2020. Uh, hits K9, letter K number nine dot net is where you're going to go find all the information to get signed up. So, Eric, what did you think? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, I, I loved it. You know, Hits is the biggest and the best. They have the most handlers that come there. So like if you're a company that's wanting to be a vendor, you will not reach any more people in this business than it hits. 1,200 and, you know, people. A lot of people yeah. like me have never really been to Scottsdale and Phoenix. I, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be in August, but they got air conditioning like crazy. Yeah, 1,200 handlers and 100-ish uh, vendors. Yeah, they make it. They don't oversell the vendor thing too. It's, the ratio is very appropriate. So if you're a vendor and you're looking, get on to hitsk9.net. Or call Jeff Baird at 863-529-5113. Hits, the letter K, the number 9.net. Yeah, it's no secret that Eric and I use a lot of equipment around the kennels at Van S and at Torchlight. Uh, so for e-collars and ball popping stuff, I use Dogtra. I use the 1900S hands-free and their ball trainer, which is a popper and a dropper. I think I've got like six of those things now. 
and they're all on one remote. So I hide them in our cars and on our buses and I hide them in places inside the detection building. So we have like six stations that we run the dogs on super, super clean way of doing it. And uh, I modify mine with magnets so I can stick them anywhere. Uh, my handlers like the 1900S because they're they're putting the button on their plate carrier so they don't have to mess with a uh, handheld remote and manipulate that at the same time. But uh, Eric, where do you get this stuff? Go to dogtrut.com. Don't forget to use your discount code as WDR10. That is all caps, WDR10. 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. Take a look at that new 3500X. It's their new uh, two-dog system for trainers. I'm telling you, it's the best two-dog system I've ever seen out there. Dogtra.com, WDR10 for 10% off a single item over 200 Some of our favorite people are, are out there in North Carolina, Highland Canine Training. Full gamut services, everything from green dogs, finished detection dogs, finished patrol dogs, all the way up to seminars, whatever you need there, full service facility. You can hit them up at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Yep, we love those folks down there. Their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com, is so easy to navigate around and see everything that they have. They have uh, teams from all over the world that come there to train there, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Challenge coins seem to be like currency in the canine industry. Everybody has them and everybody trades them and everybody collects them. So the guys over at Combat Bet make some really, really nice metal ones and they make some really, really nice poker chip ones. Um, if you've ever seen Eric and I in person, you've gotten some of these and I've got some for Torchlight. He has some for Van S. We have them for Working Dog Radio and HRD also. Uh, they do a great job and they're super high quality and the print on them is phenomenal. In fact, if you want, you can contact them. They'll send you sample packs so you can see exactly what it is, and they'll help you with all the artwork, too. Eric, where do you get them? We get them at combatbet.com. That's combatbet.com. They have a discount code for us. It's Working Dog Radio, all spelled out in capitals, Working Dog Radio. And if we see you in person, you better have one in your pocket because I'm going to drop one on you, and you're going to owe me a beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we love our partnership with rayallen.com. They've been doing business Ethical business, rayallen.com. They've got everything you need to know for uh, all dogs, not just not just working dogs. You guys that are training pets and training police dogs or, or have pets, check them out, rayallen.com. Ted, there's a way for them to get a discount, correct? Yep, you go over there and you use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off of your next order. They've got the Tricos gear, they've got vet care stuff, they've got some of the Working Dog Dry Goods muzzles and their own muzzles. They have that new rad harness that they just came out with, the Nomad, that everybody seems to be loving. Um, some of my guys are using it right now, one of the prototypes, and he's already had some, uh, some good work in it. So RayAllen.com, use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off your next order. All right, we are back. Uh, I've been talking about outing. I've been talking about breaker bars and been talking about the misconceptions. Uh, one thing I want to address, too, about mm -hmm. outing, um, one of the things I always see, uh, if you're on Patreon, you'll see Eric walking through uh, two outing drills with a dog that uh, he has named Sax. Super, super good, and you go in about five minutes from uh, that asshole not wanting to out to him verbally outing without e-collar stimulation, and you used e and you used pinch, and you used opposition reflex in both directions. And that's one thing that I, I just, like, I yell at, I don't yell, but I, I say stuff to handlers all the time at HRD where they're trying to out the dog, and I'm like, stop fucking pulling on the leash. And they look at me, I'm like, give him some slack. You're not going to pull him off a grip. It's like, you know, when I explain during mm -hmm. these decoy things, opposition reflex is the nonverbal communication that I want you to bite more. So you're telling him to out, but your hands are telling him to bite. So which one do you want him to do? If you want him to out, stop fucking pulling. 
And if you want him to bite, pull on the leash and say, Stellan, and let him bite again. But don't do both. And that's what causes conflict. And they kind of like, oh, so every time I say, stop pulling on the leash, all of a sudden the dog comes off and they look at me like I'm a wizard. I'm like, just stop pulling. <laughs> stop. You're not going to pull him off a grip. I swear to God, you're not. I promise. I don't care if he doesn't have any teeth. You're still not going to get him off there. Um, so stop pulling on the fucking leash uh, during yeah. outs. So um, door popper drills. We did another um, scenario where uh, that we're calling the island, or I call it the island. And it's one of those that um, it looks kind of hairy. <laughs> Because it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, we stick the dog on a hidden sleeve. The handler uh, lays on his back, and then decoy mounts the handler in a front guard position. I yell, go, and the handler has to get out from under the decoy uh, while the decoy is fighting him. So you got to have to know some kind of ground fighting stuff uh, in some jujitsu to do this one. And, uh, yeah, it's a small little piece of... Um, a larger scenario or a larger, um, a larger drill. It's a door popper or handler protection drill. But during the Island, it's kind of ironic because you, the dog is there. I mean, he's inches from the handler and he's obviously biting the decoy, but the dog is not being reinforced at all. He's not given any back pressure. He's not given any reinforcing for biting correctly. He's not giving any reinforcement at all. So even though you're inches apart, ironically enough, you two are fighting your own battles, right? Dogs on one arm, handlers trying to get onto the other side. Um, and I tell the handlers all the time, you got to roll away from the dog. Like, you know, worry about you're not going to flip the entire thing. And having the dog attached, several of my guys roll all the time, and they're really good. Um, I do. Sean does. And having a dog connected to somebody that you're, it messes up your leverage and it messes up your balance. The only thing that stays consistent is your grip strength. And it definitely is a different feeling for sure. Cause the dog is moving one direction, you're moving another and it's hard to predict which way and it's hairy. And the last thing you need to figure out is when this is actually happening. So obviously for to do this, when the dog has to be stable on a grip, he has to have a firm phone. I mean, if you're teaching, dogs to bite correctly this exercise wouldn't be isn't that big of a deal they have to be comfortable on a hidden sleeve they have to be comfortable not re being reinforced i mean there's any number of issues that come up here but yeah it's a door popper drill so eric how do you teach door poppers in general well um so real quick go back to what you're the one you're doing people will watch it and go oh if there's no way that guy would stay on top of me while my dog is biting him oh yeah guys <laughs> there are zombies, like fucking zombies walking around here because of synthetic drugs and some of the other things they do. We get dogs that bite to where they later afterwards, the yeah. medical staff believes they're going to have to amputate the guy's leg or his arm. And the the guy, when he got bit, didn't say anything, didn't make a peep. He said maybe, um, uh, hey, could you get your dog? Um, one of my dogs uh, who's got... Uh, ton of street bites is a great dog got into a fight kind of in a like a real small tiny bedroom with a guy the other day and uh it was a hell of a fight um guy was some sort of fighter and he he was able to keep the dog i mean he kept he kept him at kind of at bay eventually the dog got a leg bite that um that pretty much wore the guy out but it the handler said it sounded like world war three going on in this tiny bedroom so there are people who will fight your dog and then fight you so but going back to door poppers, here's here's the thing about door poppers or or grabbing the dog and sending him in general, and we talk about this a lot at our seminars, is as good as a dog's nose and ears are, their eyes, I don't believe, are that good. Um, I don't believe that they, that they see 
the same kind of depth and dimension that we do. We've talked about that with some other guests on here, and yeah, everybody their depth kind of perception agrees. is not near as good as ours. Correct. Yeah. That's why when they're in a lighted kind of a semi-lit or lit room, and we have the decoy in a dark room that's pitch black, some of the dogs see the dark room as a wall or a door. They can't they they can't tell that they can get in there until they actually test it with their nose or we see dogs stand up and put their paws on the darkness fall in the room and then they're like oh shit um but where so if you if all you did was roll up pop the door and send your dog after the guy running and that's all the drills that you did um you will find even though you can see the guy and he's right there and he's running the dog doesn't see him um they they don't just because you're locked in on the guy doesn't mean the dog's locked in on the guy so there's two ways to do the popper drills is to pull up, pop the door, have the dog go look for whatever target is moving, or you pop the door, get the dog to come to you. Then yep. you and the dog as a team start chasing the guy. Yep. Um, I'll be honest with you. Most of my time as a trainer, I just, just did door pop drills so that the dog was it came out ready to nuke whatever was in front of him. Probably not the best practice. Yeah, um, I, we I, teach them to come for you. You do the handler. come to you, right? Yep, come find the right. handler. And before you do anything. And that goes back to that quote I just read a minute ago from Kerr about the ability to call the dog off before it happens, which we work on with door poppers. And two, ensures targeting. So if you're chasing somebody and you hit the door popper and there's other backing guys around, if they come to you first before they get any other direction then your chances of getting a bite or your chances of not getting a bite that shouldn't happen. Like one of your backing guys is, is lower. It's not non-existent, but it is definitely lower. Um, in fact, I have a 2020, uh, a drill we're going to do in 2020 for HRD that specifically highlights this, um, several. So, um, but yeah, I teach the first portion of that is to go find the handler. Um, just go find the handler, go find the handler. Here's the other thing too. If you have a driver's side door popper, you need to teach the dog to run around the back of the vehicle to get to the interview position first before anything else. What we don't want is the dog bouncing out into traffic and getting tagged. Uh, that would definitely mm -hmm. suck. That would ruin your day, especially if you actually hit him to need your help. I, we have some agencies that um, we sold dogs to that that door popper is to only be used for handler protection. They are specifically explicitly prohibited from sending that dog if the handler is not out of the vehicle. So if you're chasing somebody and they bail out of a car, they are not allowed to send that dog. And it's specifically for this reason, so that we have control. Um, and I tell guys, too, I was like, you guys know these dogs track, right? Like, <laughs> like they ain't going to yeah. get far. I mean, if it's that couple of seconds, I said, you know, and if you are going to do that, you need to make sure your verbal call off is the shit. So because if not, he will bite somebody. In fact, we're getting ready to go down to Marion County, Florida in a couple of weeks. Uh, there's a canine, uh, there's a canine handler down there that just had a bite and he sent the dog and he went after a backing officer and the handler was like dog name here dog. And you see it in dash cam dog whoop, immediately flips it and comes back to the handler and he sends him the correct direction. So awesome off leash verbal control. But yeah, first part, go to go find the handler. Then exactly like you said, depth perception, they don't know what they're biting. So we teach them to, uh, obviously target who they're not the handler. Um, and that's through multiple reps with suit, without suit, muzzle, everything else, uh, before we actually go into the ground fighting portion of it, where we ask the dog to target the correct one. If you just do this with a muzzle on and just kind of wing it, 
and the dog comes out and you're on bottom, 90% of the time he will tag you too. Like he will go after you. Um, that they have to be shown oh, yeah. multiple, <laughs> multiple. Yeah, I've seen it happen. I've been there when it happened. Um, multiple, multiple reps of coming out of the car, seeing you on top of the decoy, the decoy on top of you, you guys fighting. And when you're doing this and you're teaching targeting, the first way I do it is, you know, go find the handler. Once they figure that portion out, they come find the handler. And I just talked about variability. First one they come, they find their ball. Second one, they cut around the corner. The, the handler was out of sight for this. As soon as the dog rounds the corner, he sees a suit of decoy standing there or shit, even one with a hard sleeve, even though I hate using hard sleeves and you tell the dog to bite. As soon as he rounds the corner, dog name's Stellan. And he sees the decoy, oh shit. So then we start mixing it up, right? We vary where the decoy stands. Then we start putting them closer together. Dog name's Stellan, dog name's Stellan. Rolls around the corner. Then we move into where they're fighting standing up. And when you do it, when you're fighting standing up, make sure the decoy's arm is outside yours. And push the fucking decoy towards the dog as he's coming through. Dog name's Stellan, right? Give him every chance. Then we move to the ground fighting portion where I'll put a muzzle on to start making sure the dog is going to target the bad guy. And, you know, kind of muzzle work, too, that we didn't talk about. You have to over-exaggerate everything. So if you're on top as the decoy and the dog nukes you, roll off of the handler with the strike and continue to roll. Don't be passive. Um, which is kind of something that Eric was wanted to talk about too with muzzle work and kind of in general. <clears throat> yep. One more real quick, one more comment on the door popper. I see yep. this, I see guys do it all the time, is don't don't pull up to your empty area or your house and pop your uh, door and let the dog yeah. go out and play and stop stop doing that. That's you think it's funny and you think it's cute and or you're just a lazy turd, stop doing that. You're you are creating a training scar. Um, and then on the door popper with the muzzle, and we'll get into muzzles here in a minute, is in the beginning, you want to you see handlers get their feelings hurt, put them on the ground with the decoy on top of them, yeah. and pop the door and watch their dog come out and nuke the handler on the ground. Yeah. Just l- waylay them with that muzzle on the ground. They're like, that's my buddy. I thought you loved me. Yeah. That's uh, the- no. That's what I tell guys all the time about this drill. I said, you know, the only reason that these door poppers even exist is for this one exercise. That is it. We have a $2,000 thing that for something that may never happen and nobody ever trains it and or not correctly. I don't think, but, um, one of our dogs, Valor, his first bite was, uh, Randall was out of handler school for two months and that, Valor's first bite was a door popper. Um, but John, uh, uh, Randall wasn't on the ground, but he was fighting with somebody and he hit his door popper and he heard the dog and pitched this guy towards the dog. And we'd done it so many times. He knew, he told me, he said, he knew as soon as I heard him, and as soon as I, you know, I was fighting with this guy and I hit the door popper and I heard the horn and I heard the door and I called him Valor here. And as soon as I heard his footsteps, I pushed him towards him and nuked him right in the leg. And then it was a continued fight. It was just like the rest of the scenario, except Randall was on top of the guy, had to roll him over with the dog all over the place and state he stuck his grip correctly. But yeah, this is one of those that this is the only reason this, this, this tool exists for you guys. Um, and well, unless you do, you're like popping it for, um, watch it for, uh, you know, people are running off or whatever, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's an extremely difficult skill. And I tell guys all the time, your dog doesn't, I mean, he loves you, but I mean, yeah, you're not like 
we think of. And, and when we do the amoeba drill, Eric tells guys all the time, your dog will work for anybody. We see it all the time, right? We see where mm-hmm. dogs in the amoeba room and he's got, he's fixated on one decoy, whatever, fine. Or he's fixated on, we've had it where we've had four in there. He'll fixate on two or three and the third or the fourth decoy will come in and start running leash tension and load him up and send him into a bite and load him up and send him into a bite and load him up and send him into a bite. Dog never turns and tags or most of the time they don't. And this is kind of one of those things. The dog doesn't understand when he exits a vehicle and sees you in a fight for something that could be life altering for you. He doesn't understand that. He's not coming to your rescue because he loves you. He's coming to your rescue because it's a prey exercise and he wants to fucking bite people. But the only way you get to that is by multiple reps of the dog knowing that he exits the vehicle and looking for something to bite. Just like when you run a vehicle and you're looking for narcotics odor, how many thousands of times has that dog searched a vehicle and he found odor and then he gave you his TFR? They don't learn it overnight. It's the exact same thing. So, yeah. yes. Yep. So, speaking of muzzles. So, let's switch to muzzles. Um, I like muzzles. Uh, I think there are some trainers that way overdo the muzzle, like way overdo or it. Overcomplicated. Uh, I've heard of some trainers... I've heard some trainers that uh, say that's all they use is muzzles, which is ridiculous. Yeah, there's a then, group in a state. I, I don't care if you that. listen to this or not. If you're a 100% muzzle guy, your dogs, uh, I guarantee you, have biting problems. Um, yeah. And probably have outing and then problems, we have, too. <laughs> you can't right. out if you can't And we bite. have trainers on the... Right. We have trainers on the opposite end, out of laziness or whatever, never work the muzzle. Uh, we have a lot of guys at HRD. We ask, okay, who, whose dog never does muzzle? And there'll be two or three, four guys raise their hand, and their dog's been on the road three or four years. They said, we never do muzzle. Um, they also are guys usually that only do sleeves. So um, right. yeah. I, I, I see a pattern. I got you. I know all about what you're doing. Um, but there's, a, there's some big misconceptions. I like to use muzzles. Um, I use them, A, because the decoy then is not in, um, in equipment, and then I use it for uh, fighting. Um, but talk about Ted, the, the big misconception when it comes to the muzzle teaching a dog to bite a human being. So the big misconception is that if you use a muzzle, that your dog won't be equipment fixated. And I kind of blink real hard and kind of shake my head when people say that to me. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Right. Because there's always equipment on the dog that's going to affect. I've seen some blue healers that are beasts in a muzzle that are absolute, that are better than 90% of patrol dogs or NPCs you'll ever see in a muzzle. They will drill you with all 40 pounds they have, and they will convince you to take the muzzle off, and they do the exact same behavior. They'll never put teeth on you. But it looks good, and it looks like they're, you know, that they're going to, they're there to, to actually do some damage, but they're not. They're playing the game. So, you know, when we start talking about all these skills that decoys have to reinforce, um, like in my, in my decoy schools about all the skills that the decoys have to reinforce during, um, working a dog muzzle fits into that. And it's in, in one specific location for us anyway, at torchlight. Um, it's obvious that dogs can't bite when they're in a muzzle. (laughs) I mean, that should go without saying it shouldn't be able to, if they do they're (laughs) you don't cut it on. Right. So, you know, Assuming you've done all the safety checks, the muzzle should stay on. We still have to confirm correct targeting, and we still have to confirm correct striking behaviors. So what I use muzzles for is to build um, intensity and to build commitment 
to striking targets over and over and over again repeatedly because I don't have to worry about a grip and an out. So we have to over-exaggerate everything. So I'll flag if I want him on the bicep, I'll full on, I will stand back and I'll scoot, the, and I'll, I'll have the handler load him up and I'll let him strike me in the bicep. Then I'll move targets immediately. He'll load him up, I'll stick my forearm out. He'll come in and strike my forearm and I'll over-exaggerate. As he hits me, I'll let him strike me back. The handler will pull tension on the line because of opposition reflex. I'll grab something to fend off with and then I'll present my leg. So I can work four or five targets in 10 seconds over and over and over again. And I, it continues to build um, correct targeting and it continues to build striking behavior and it continues to build commitment to biting over and over and over again. And one thing I do not do, I do not let the dog go flat. Muzzle sessions are short, 20 seconds tops, right? Mm. I do not let them go flat. And then I do not let them have a grip after the fact. And you're going to hear people say this, and I got to put my fucking frame proof suit on because I know I'm going to get hate mail, which I don't care. But if we're using the muzzle to confirm these behaviors of targeting and multiple reps quickly, and you let them go flat, that's your fault. If you give them a grip, they'll figure out eventually, just like in detection work, if they go find the odor, they get their ball, they'll figure out eventually that if, if I just sit here long enough, I'll, I'll get a grip. So I'm not even going to do anything. And I've seen it a thousand times. Dogs that will fight for two or three seconds and just stand there and look at you. They're like, okay, when are you going to take it off so I can actually bite them now? No. The reward for wearing a muzzle is not a grip. The reward for wearing a muzzle is the striking interaction with the decoy being able to, cause that's just as satisfying and satiating for that drive as not, well, not quite as high, but it's still a satiation of that drive for, uh, when you strike correct targets and the you get the reaction out of the decoy. So when we're gripping, when a dog bites hard, bites full and punches in, what do we do? We've, well, sometimes we don't have to pretend it hurts, but we make the noise. We do the jerking back thing you're doing the exact same behavior we're marking it the exact same way there's just not a grip involved but we're working multiple targets that's how i use muzzles and i guarantee you there's going to be people that disagree with me and i don't care you can do it however you want and if you've been successful with you know a dog that didn't bite and you put him in a muzzle and then he did i great i am more power to you but i have tried that over i don't know we've tried as scott <laughs> so scott my partner at Torchlight, the old man, has said multiple times, he was like, that was stupid 20 years ago and it's stupid now. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fine, fair enough. So, you know, he told me this like 10 years ago. I was like, so how do we fix it? And then he was like, you teach the motherfucker to bite. He goes, how? And then he asked, he goes, how can you teach a grip if they're not gripping? And I'm like, okay. He goes, if they won't bite, what, what does preventing them from biting going to cause? Frustration? So you want the dog to bite out of frustration. Is that what you want? I'm like, well, no. He goes, no, we don't want dogs biting out of frustration. We want them biting because we want to, we, they want to be there. He goes, if you're using a muzzle to fix equipment fixation problems, you need to back up about 10 steps because you fucked it up somewhere else on the line. And I'm like, huh, that makes a lot of sense. And so, <laughs> but, yeah, you know. I like, I like the, not for the equipment fixation part, well, but uh, the, the picture of the guy in the T-shirt and yes. jeans or T-shirt and pants and no equipment, you know. Yeah. Um, one thing you said is very important and... Uh, we uh, and I saw it happen this week in Georgia, um, and it was it was kind of a mistake on my part. Is I let I let it go. We're doing the amoeba drill, and there's for those of you who don't know the amoeba, the dog chases one decoy into a room with a muzzle on, and there's actually two or three decoys in there standing still, and it actually freaks some dogs out. Um, but we had a dog in there that was putting in work 
with three decoys and I've let it go. It's a fine line. I let it go just a little bit too long and the dog got bored and just stopped. Yeah. He's like this, I'm not, I'm not biting anybody. But what I didn't do is pop the muzzle off and throw the suit guy in there and get him bit. We just, yeah. uh, I got him fired up, let him get one last hit on a dude and then ran him out. Um, so you're so, right, 20, 30 seconds. Yeah, and if you done. have a, if you have a dog that's not experienced in a muzzle, um, you know, like you just said, we, you know, like, oh, dogs been around three or four years, we never do muzzles, right? Um, they, to bridge the gap between doing that, and I've seen this happen before where a dog has several street bites. Like, I know he has no problem engaging, but won't engage with a muzzle on, which is fine. But if you want to work drills, and I think you should, just for the reasons I just said, because you can work multiple targets in 10 seconds, you know, and you can confirm targeting, you can confirm striking behavior, you can confirm all these things quickly, you know, and you can test commitment and everything else. How do you bridge that gap? And we have equipment on the dog that's affecting his behavior. So if you have a dog that has live bites and you put him in a muzzle and he refuses to engage, how do you people that tell me that this fixes equipment fixation because now he's fixated on the equipment that's on his face? Dogs have equipment on them 24-7 that always affects their behaviors. So how do we fix it? When we have dogs, like that, we have some dogs that come through HRD and they're kind of unsure, uh, we always have a bailout option, which is a, a person with visible equipment on. It could be a suit. It could be whatever, right? Uh, hidden sleeve. I use those ALM, those really thin ones because they're mobile. Uh, once the dog sees it, they usually are like, oh, shit, fuck yeah. And then they start striking. The decoy then continues to do the behaviors like they're being hit without equipment on. Then somebody steps in, handles the line, tension, 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 release, load him up, send, load him up, send, over and over again, right? We pull the sleeve back, pull the sleeve off, like as I'm pulling back and just send the dog without equipment on. And the decoy then just goes into rolling around on the ground as the dog strikes him, continued over and over and over again. He's getting that drive satiated by the interaction with the decoy, not just a gripping behavior. That's what you're teaching. And that is what I, that's how I teach a dog to quote unquote, start to fight and to create commitment to a grip, even though you can't get it. And that's what I use a muzzle for not to fix equipment fixation, but it is what it is. But yeah, I mean, that's how we bridge that gap. Show them just a little bit of something that's familiar and then do three or four strikes in a row as long as they're not going flat and then pull that equipment out or take it off quickly. Uh, that's why I don't, we don't like to use suits if we can avoid it. Or if there is a suit, then pull that dude out of the room real quick and have another decoy step in. And I mean like seconds, it's gotta be fast, fast, fast and let him strike and then pull the dog out next session. Once he's cooled down, have the sleeve, the hidden sleeve or whatever visible, let him strike twice and then pull that sleeve off and let him just go to town on this on the handlers, load him up, send him back, load him up, send him back, load him up, send him back over and over and over again. Until you, excuse me, until you get to a point where you've bled them off of equipment and you've bled them off everything and the behaviors are still being marked correctly and the dog is still showing commitment and correct targeting. That's how I use it. Right. The other big mistake people make with muzzles, guys, don't just wear your muzzle to the vet's office and don't just wear it to bite work. Um, you need to wear the muzzle, get the dog used to being comfortable in the muzzle for a long period of time, yep. do obedience with them, do play with them, let them lay down on a dog bed, uh, chill out with the muzzle on, get them used to the muzzle being part of their life and not just for a negative experience, like the veterinarian's office, um, 
and not just for the muzzle fighting part because right. uh, uh, you're, you're creating training issues there. The other big thing guys forget about the muzzle is, so if you have a, an issue with your dog and your dog is tagging you as the handler, he's, he's biting you during certain exercises and you want to work on that, put the muzzle on him. Everyone forgets. They do forget that they have the muzzle in the car. I'm also shocked at how many handlers do not have a muzzle. They're, they're, they never ask for it. Their agency doesn't buy it, or they just don't buy one themselves. Um, they don't have a muzzle. I, I'm blown away by that. I, I'm amazed. And um, some of these are dog handlers that have dogs that bite them um, on certain exercises. Put, put, the, put the muzzle on him and, yeah. and work through the problem. Um, and that's going to transition into the last topic I want to talk about, and that's dog-aggressive dogs. If you're, your dog, your police dog, can't be around other dogs, uh, you're that guy that when we're doing group obedience has to be 40 yards away on the side like a dunce-capped child um, because your dog hates other dogs. Um, so we just ran into the situation down in Georgia. There's a handler down there. I really like him. He was there last year. He's got a he's got a really nice dog. Dog's got like a dozen street bites. He's pretty hard. Um, <clears throat> but the handler has to go last or first in most scenarios, or if he can do it one at a time. But when we do our large seminars, we need dogs out on deck ready to go so that there's no delay. He can't do that because his dog gets all spun up about other dogs and then bites the handler. Um, Excuse me. So I start talking to him. And now what I'm going to talk to you about is things that you need to take a serious look at yourself, look at what's going on on your daily life with the dog. And then there's some things that you can fix. Uh, it, it has nothing to do with actual dog aggression. Truly dog aggressive dogs, dogs that will, if you let go of the police dog, he would go over and kill another dog are rare. It, it yeah. Truly dog aggressive dogs are rare. Well, the ones um, that are selected for police work anyway, you know, pit bulls cor- and the, those dogs, yeah. are, dogs well, that correct. are even, bred to even kill then, an animal. Yet, a lot I mean. of it, right. A lot yeah. of it then is still reactivity to the leash. So I'll give yep. you an example. This particular handler has two or three other dogs at home and him, his dog and those dogs are best friends and there's never any where his police dog gets just like spun up because dog aggressive dogs may live with another dog okay until the day they get pissed or something happens and they kill that other dog um true dog aggressive dogs it's an inevitability that they will if if unchecked they will kill the other dog in your house but his dog lives peacefully with a few other dogs plays is actually kind of submissive to the dogs has a great time so then you have to start looking at what you're doing on a daily day-to-day basis with the dog one of the big mistakes that causes that type so so his dog is super dog aggressive only on leash when the handler's there. Think about that. Look into yourself. Is that you? Are you the guy who's, you're at the police canine field and your dog is, um, when you get out with you on leash, is just going berserk on the other dogs or when you walk by people, right? Um, his kennel at his house is 10 by 10. Guys, it's awesome, right? But your dog does not need a 10 by 10 kennel. Uh, when I was with the police department, we, ours were 10 by 12, and uh, that was awesome. They built them at your house. It was, that was great. But now that I know more about dog behavior and what I know, that's too big. It's too much. They don't need it. Um, so I, I suggested to him to shrink his kennel a little bit because you ha- 
you have to control if your dog is leash aggressive like that you have to control the in the movement and freedom of your dog how much free space is the dog getting is he in your fenced in backyard for hours and hours at a time or is he loose in your house nonstop, or is he uh, got a big kennel and guess what I, I said does your dog run in circles he goes all the time he's in that big huge kennel just running circles i go if that was a person You'd go, what the fuck is wrong with you? Calm <laughs> down. Yeah, what Settle down. You would confine their mood. If that was your kids, you would go, listen, come over here. Sit down. Sit down on the couch. Calm down. You would, confi- you would confine their movements. You have to do the same thing for the dog. Crates are big for that. Smaller kennels are good for that. Um, and too much affection on that dog. Too much affection. Guess where, Ted? Guys give their dogs too much affection. Bite in work. the center divider oh, well, of yeah. the fucking car. That too. In yes, that they. car with the center divider open, and they're stroking the dog's head. And that dog might be a, a kind of a dog that's nervous in the car, doesn't really like it, or is, has some anxiety about something. And you're just stroke. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay if you eat my fucking computer and choke to death on a towel in my front seat or get out and another cop shoots and kills you, which just happened. It's okay. Yeah. I'm going to keep this open and stroke you. You people, not all of you, it's not 100%, but if you guys got leash reactive problems and, and dog aggression problems like that, you are creating it by your fucking bullshit. Petting the dog nonstop. So fun um, fact about those center dividers, they were invented before door poppers and they were there to mm-hmm. teach the handler protection scenario. So you'd leave the front window down on the driver's or on the passenger side so the dog wouldn't jump out into traffic. And that's how they deployed dogs. You would call them from there, right? And now they don't need them anymore. <laughs> I mean, what you guys yeah. at Canton, I mean, you had to write a policy <laughs> to keep them fucking shut. What? Yeah, we had to talk to a lot of guys about it. And like I said, I have them in my truck and I zip tie, zip tie it closed. It's just those every, I don't care, American Aluminum, any, any of the companies that make those, those center divider things, the latches are junk. They always break. If you use them enough, they will always break and not latch. And your dog knows, your dog listens and knows when that thing clicks shut and when it doesn't. They know because they've heard you do it numerous times. And if it doesn't click, They'll push that bitch open with their nose, but that's a whole nother topic. So anyways, back yep. to the back to the thing. So if your dog is that dog where you get him out, he's like at everybody uh, or every dog, start confining his free time when you're off duty. Don't let him have just roam of your property, big, huge kennel, or roam of your house. Start confining him to a dog bed, crate, small kennel. You'll start to see a lot of this stuff come down. Stop fucking talking to your dog all the time. That's a big thing. But one of the most important things is you have then to teach your dog leave it or something similar. Basically, letting your dog uh, focus or um, get fixated on outside stimuli, you have to correct that immediately. You have to stop it. The other dogs mean nothing, should mean nothing to your dog. They need to ignore it. This pays dividends when it comes to gunfire and everything. Ignore all that stuff. It doesn't mean anything. I mean everything to you, motherfucker. I feed you. Only me. is I'm the only thing that matters to you. Not those dogs, those other people, and that gunfire. Just relax and ignore it. So I correct. If a dog starts, 
it's natural if you got a dog walking by or you're sitting and they hear a noise and they turn and look at it. That, that's natural. But I kind of correct it. But any fixating, if you're there and your dog is eye-fucking another dog and you let that continue to happen, that's your fault. You need to correct that. And one of the easiest ways to deal with leash reactive or dog aggressive dogs around other dogs is walking with other dogs. So what I do is I'll have guys walk in a column, dog in front with a handler, dog in back with a handler. Anything, any movement of the dog in the front trying to turn around and look behind him, correct it. Instantly, leave it. Little leash, prong collar or e-collar, leave it. If the dog in the back tries to forge ahead, correct it, leave it. No sniffing the ground, no sniffing poles, no pissing on anything. Walk, structured, can't do anything else but ignore everything, look forward or look at you. Then you switch positions. The back dog moves front, front dog moves back, same thing. Then you slide up next to each other in a, in a um, side by side. So you have dog handler, dog handler. Any looking at each other gets corrected. Any looking. If the second their head starts to move, correct it. Stop and make both dogs sit. If they try to look around at each other, correct it. If they try to lean back and look behind you at each other, correct it. And then just go walking. You will see, even dogs you think are dog killer, dog aggressive dogs, after a little bit when you're walking, will completely ignore the other dog and not stress and not whine and not have any problems because we are teaching them that shit doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. I matter. Then it should go without saying, don't do this. (laughs) You don't teach dog neutrality with an already other dog aggressive dog so the dog that you're doing these with you know and if you go all the way back to episode three of working dog radio was subtle uh from logan haas um he talks about how the female for a breeding needs to be uber social so that you can get in the kennel and clean and so that and that's the first view of the world that puppies see so if you got a female that's a fucking bitch all the time Towards humans, uh, we had a litter like that, and those dogs turned out to be great police dogs, but they're sort of edgy, and they'll bite the shit out of you. But for their entire, you know, first forming, you know, formative formative year or, you know, weeks of life, every they saw just people, you know, their mom going after humans because she's an asshole. So kind of the same thing. When puppies interact with other dogs, I only let puppies interact with dogs that I know are uber social, like one of our dogs, Static. He is a fantastic, like, older brother or, you know, big dog that teaches what I call proper manners. And a lot of dog aggression can be created because you allow them to interact with dogs that don't put up with poor manners because puppies don't know manners or young dogs don't. Or they're exposed to dog aggressive dogs at a very, very young age. So puppies are usually quarantined away from other dogs and they're only allowed to interact with dogs, several other dogs like my dogs. Scott's personal dogs, um, you know, whoever that I know are um, not dog aggressive at all. And they will put up with some um, dogs that were with behaviors that are what I call not polite. Um, and they will gently correct. Like if a dog is getting too rough, puppy's getting too rough with one of them, you know, they'll just kind of not snap at him, but just kind of give them a low growl or just kind of turn away from them and not do anything about it. But they definitely don't go after him. But if you're, you know, past that point, you know, what Eric just said is a fantastic way to do it. Just remember not to use a dog aggressive dog that's already like. Yeah, you don't want. Yeah. Right. Because and keep in mind, if you have if you're in a training group and your dog does pretty good with all the other dogs, except for one, there's one fucking dog your dog hates. That's 
for whatever reason, dogs seem to hold a grudge against another dog. Maybe they had an incident or something like that. Um, keep in mind, you might never get that dog to like that one dog. But the other thing I, I left out, if you're like my buddy in Georgia, when you start some of this stuff, the walking stuff, uh, with, with the other dog, put, put the muzzle on your dog in the beginning. Um, yeah. If you've used it only for bite work, don't be surprised if your dog muzzle punches you. But if you're conditioning your dog on the muzzle all the time, just use it. It's a safety procedure. Again, though, we're teaching the leave it or the ignoring behavior away from the other dogs at first. We just go for a walk. They have to ignore everything, every bush, everything. Don't, don't let them do it. And then we move it into dogs. Um, but, but your dog, your dog aggressive dog, pretty good chance he's not. And I show guys that when they tell me that their dog is aggressive and we do group obedience when a lot of trainers have done it, uh, where, we, where we do a weaving drill where everybody's standing in a line and then a dog weaves in and out of all the other dogs. Right. And how, what do we do? When the dog is coming through, we correct if they try to look at the other dogs. We just correct them. And if the dog is sitting as a dick, the handlers correct him for trying to look. What makes that any different than fixing it all the time instead of just fixing that one time on the field? Yeah. So go back, look at your life though, what you're doing with your dog, Treat him like a death row prisoner for a little while. If he's that type of dog, confine his movements. Stop talking to him too much. Stop dulling all this bullshit affection on him. Here's a, here's a tip. If you're sitting on the couch and your, dog is, your police dog is laying on a, a dog bed on the floor next to you, that's actually affection, and he likes it. You don't have to stroke him or talk to him. He's pretty cool just being with you. Think, people. Think, 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 yeah. think, 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 think. Our new female doesn't even like it. All right, buddy. <laughs> right. Yeah. So where, uh, that's it, right, for this episode? Yeah, I think so. Um, we've got some cool ones lined up. Um, I'm eventually going to nail down Daryl um, from LAPD, or I'm sorry, from uh, LA County Sheriff's Office SWAT. Um, super good handler. He's agreed to come on, and we can't make the damn schedules line up because he's retired now. And I swear to God, when you guys retire, you get busier. And, um, yeah. so, uh, I've been wanting to do that interview forever. Um, but he, uh, he's got, uh, he's on grandpa duty, which I know he loves. Um, and then I've got some other ones lined up that should be pretty freaking cool. Um, I've got a guy lined up that, uh, is very knowledgeable with like all things, admin procedure, um, how we get into trouble with things like, so that should be a very good episode too. Um, but yeah, so Next, and we got uh, some medical stuff coming up too. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, we got uh, teeth episode, um, a teeth episode for. There's a big, and I know Eric, you have a very strong feeling on putting titanium in dogs' mouths and what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. So we're going to have a canine dentition come in and talk about oral health um, and how that's predictive of the rest of the dog's health, what the best practices should be if you do break a tooth, what you should and shouldn't do, all that kind of stuff. Because it have I see conversations about that all the time. So we want to try and kind of dispel some of the uh, some of the myths and put some good information out so that you guys have some, some real actionable knowledge that you can use. But yeah, those should be coming up here uh, before the end of the year for sure. Awesome. Do you know what I get to do after we're done here? <laughs> it's yeah. bath day at the kennel. Oh, yeah. I got some dogs. I got I got some dogs that need a bath. They stink. So just, <laughs> Thirty-four degree outside. giving a dog a bath. That sounds 
wonderful. But there, there is heat in the kettle. So that's not <laughs> oh, that's bad. right. Yeah, okay. It's still. I'm not in some some ad- industrial complex in Tulsa. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I have, no. a, uh, I have heaters, but uh, so listen, those of you guys who skip the commercials, go back and re-listen to them. There are discount codes and everything in there. Um, we have a new sponsor, HorizonStructures.com. Go check it out. Yep. Dude, their stuff is fucking legit, bro. Yeah. I've been on their website like with a, with a kennel boner for a couple weeks now. Yes. That, uh, and when they deliver them, they're Has- done. Hashtag like, kennel boner. Yeah. <laughs> it's a new hashtag. Uh, and when they're, when they're done, they're done. You like roll up and they drop them off and you can use them that day. So there's no, you don't got to run yeah, 75 awesome, trips to Home man. Depot. Uh, yeah. So outside of that, um, we're booking into 2020 for HRD already. So if you want to see us this next year, head over to hrdpolicecanine.com and, uh, Get signed up and look for where we're coming. Uh, first two months of the year, we're going to Memphis, January, and then we're going to Dover, Delaware, with the Delaware State Police in February. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Eric and I are going to be uh, at HITS in uh, August also, so that's going to be out in Scottsdale, Phoenix area. So that'll be good. But, yeah, and then be sure to hit up Patreon. I just did a big – I just talked about the muzzle thing with the popper drill, the island. I wrote a huge thing up on there that I may turn into an article for – canine courier um sent it over to bob and i've changed some things in it though but uh i had to give a huge outline as to how that one scenario that we posted the video of how that fits into the overall and how you train all of those behaviors and all of those things for that popper drill step by step by step by step where you position the decoy what they should be doing what they shouldn't be doing what the handler should be doing and not be doing and etc so patreon.com uh, look for Working Dog Radio, and I think we just shipped out a bunch of the Make America Bite Again patches, and we have a new patch that I'm waiting on the artwork for, which will release probably in November. Uh, it's going to be good, and it's, uh, yeah, I think uh, the guys over at Worthless Handler are like it too, so we love those dudes too, but yeah, hit them up. Eric, yeah. anything else? Uh, nope, just check me out on Instagram, vanssk9.com. Yep. I'm on vanssk canine academy on facebook that's going to be i'm kind of steering that more towards the pet side now but right. the um van s canine on uh, instagram is a lot of police stuff i put a lot of crap up we put a lot of free content out yeah and then uh i'm ted underscore summers on the instagram uh and then the podcast and torchlight canine letter k number nine is the kennel side and then the podcast has its own working underscore dog underscore radio we run contests uh, you see what Eric and I actually look like, which is why we have a podcast and not a TV show. Because yeah. uh, we talk all the time on Instagram. So, uh, yeah, outside of that, uh, we'll be back. We'll see you guys uh, next episode. All right. Goodbye, folks. Our very first sponsor, our most loyal guy, is Arno over at ALM Suits and Canine Equipment. I love his tugs, his suits, everything he's got going on. His hidden sleeve is legit. His trainer sleeves, all that stuff, man. We get a lot of stuff from Arno. When you call, he's the guy that answers the phone. He's a one-man operation, kicking ass over there. He's over in Vegas. If you're in town, hook him up and check him out. Ted, talk about his website and discount code. It's uh, ALM. K9, the letter K number nine, equipment.com. That's ALMK9 equipment.com. If you use the discount code WDR radio, 
it'll give you 10% off your first order as long as it's not a suit. He has, I just saw recently too that he's got those uh, super thin hidden Kevlar sleeves back in stock. Uh, those are the ones that Eric and I got as a prototype and uh, we both love those things and they've become kind of the go-to thing for a lot of the hidden sleeve guys like PSA for the carjacking. And it's what we use for a lot of the scenarios you see where we use super thin equipment we're rolling around wrestling with handlers. But uh, keeps you protected, keeps the dog engaged, lasts for quite a while, fits well too. So almk9equipment.com. Yes, one of our very, very first sponsors of the podcast before we even recorded an episode is the guys out in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania at Bravo 3 and at Tripwire. Uh, we love those guys. They do a fantastic job of training the modern law enforcement and first responder. And that's what Bravo 3 is really all about. It's about an, a combination of SWAT, canine, bomb EOD, fire, hazmat, tac med, and SOF first responder guys. Everybody gets together to share information, so you've got a lot of people there that are really, really good at what they do, including Eric and I. We're going to be instructors. When is it, Eric? It is October 26th through the 29th in Gettysburg. You can sign up at bravo-3.com, www.bravo-3.com. Come see us, man. Come hang out. We'll have a good time. Yep. I want to take two seconds and talk about the entrance and exit music that everybody hears here, which is kind of an important part of the entire thing we do. The artist, Brother D, has been extremely gracious in letting us use this music, and I want everybody to go hit him up. And if he comes to town, go see him. Go buy his shirts and go buy his CDs. It's Brother D, D-E-G-E dot net. All of his new music's up there. You can get it on the same place that you're listening to this. You can get it on iTunes, you can get it on Google Play, or you can order it straight from his website. But go hit him up. He's a great dude, super gracious, and if you get a chance, go see him live. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.